Welcome to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast powered by Guardian Caps. Guardian Caps are a one-size-fits-all helmet cover that help reduce impact for your players during practice. Coach Perry is a huge proponent of Guardian Caps after using them at Pearl High School, and it was one of the first football items he purchased when taking a job at Nixa High School. Caps are mandated by the NFL for O-line, D-line, linebackers, tight ends, and running backs, and utilized by over 270 colleges, over 3,000 high schools, and over 600 youth programs across the country. As helmets become more and more expensive, the Guardian Caps also do a great job of protecting your helmet investment. See the link in our show notes for more information on Guardian Caps. In each episode, John takes you on a journey of growth, learning, and endless improvement. Whether you're an athlete, coach, or someone simply just striving to get better, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, John Perry. All right, our guest today is none other than Ryan Hawk, okay? One of the uh, probably most famous podcasters in the world, one of the top podcast in the world, The Learning Leader, which is absolutely awesome. I was, I've been a fan for a long time. You've interviewed now over 500 different guests, was also a collegiate uh, athlete, a professional athlete, um, have got a world of experience under your belt. And if, you know, people have not heard of you, you're going to be in for a treat today because Ryan is absolutely fantastic and, you know, was kind enough to come on and help get this thing kicked off. So Ryan, without further ado, let me hit you up with the first question. What are, you know, and you've interviewed 530 people, I think is where we're at today, which is amazing. And I think been going on seven or eight years. What are some of the common behavior skills that you have found amongst the people that you have interviewed because you've interviewed some of the best in all walks of life. You know, what are some of the commonalities? Um, And that's also one of the first questions you ask all of them. So I'm just curious, you know, from your time, what, what are some of those that you would, uh, you know, name? Well, first, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to share with you, coach. Um, I, uh, that's a big question uh, after eight and a half years of this. Um, I probably would lean towards uh, one answer I received from a woman named Kat Cole. Uh, she told me this many years ago. But uh, if you think of like being uh, having this equal balance on one side of it, these leaders, the productive achievers, have high levels of courage and confidence. Right, courage to stand up for you what you believe in, and confidence, which is built by, I think, doing a series of hard things and proving to yourself that you can do hard things. Confidence needs evidence, uh, as you know, playing football. Um, I think I, I gained so much confidence in life because my coaches pushed me to perform at levels that I didn't even think I was capable of, thus creating confidence that became a flywheel and it just went on and on and on. So courage and confidence on one side, but then I think productive achievers, people who sustain excellence on, on the other side are equally balanced, have curiosity and humility. Uh, humility to say and tell others, I don't have this all figured out. I need your help. I'm, I have an open mind. I'm, I'm, I'm here to learn. Right. And then the curiosity to ask questions, to seek knowledge from mentors, to, um, think about the world, maybe in a different way, maybe in a way you haven't thought of it before, be willing to innovate, be willing to change, have the curiosity for that. So I think the, the, the most productive achievers in the world seem to have a good balance of courage and confidence combined with curiosity and humility. Ryan, you're not going to believe this, okay, because you can't see my notes, but this is what I have written down is something I wanted to discuss. Um, December 6, 2015, Cat Cole, <laughs> and confidence, humility, and curiosity 
It there was you episode go. 78, I think. Um, man, I'm going to tell you what. That could be my favorite of all time of any podcast. Like, I had never heard of her, you know. Mm-hmm. And then after that podcast, man, I became such a fan, you know, of her because of the story. Because, And I, I think that's one of the great things about podcasting, you know, about learning, about wanting to wake up the next day and be better than you are today is the people that we get to learn from. We don't have to know. You know, like I, I would probably never meet her, but what you just explained obviously made a huge impact on you and it made a huge impact on me. I jumped on board um, Athletic Greens like <laughs> over a year ago because I heard she became the COO or CEO. And I'm like, hey, look, man, if she's in, I'm in because I think she is absolutely fantastic. Um, I and I, I, I can agree. imagine taping that episode was awesome. And I know you've had her own again since then what are your thoughts about her as a leader yeah I'm with you man I mean she became uh, I'd, I'd read about her in a book by Adam Grant and so that piqued my curiosity to go uh and to try to have a conversation where that's much like how I live my life in general if I read something somebody wrote uh or I read about a story uh, read about a person that that has been written about uh, my inclination is to try to send them an email and get a hold of them luckily Kat did that for me very early on in my podcast. And then we recorded together in person in front of a live audience uh, last year, which was amazing. She, I, I, I find her to be one of the most precise communicators and clear thinkers that I've ever met. And that's, I think, saying a lot. Um, knows exactly what's on her mind, how to say it in a compelling way, and then to be done. And I, it's just a tough, tough skill to develop. One I'm continuously working on by studying people like her of being that clear of a thinker, doing that much hard work on yourself so that when you it's time to share with your audience, whoever that audience may be, you do it in a compelling way that it moves people. And that again, that, that she's just a, a great person to look up to for, for a skill like that. No doubt. I was amazed. And, and probably one of the, you know, biggest takeaways for me personally was it doesn't matter what you are born into or your circumstances or, you know, in this great country we live in, you have the opportunity to do and be anything you want to be. You know, I mean, I sometimes say that's um, God's way. Dreaming is God's way of showing us what's possible, you know, and as a little (laughs) kid, she dreamed, man, like, and, you know, she started chasing them dreams. Um, really fast and was ultra successful. All right, let's go back college. I, you played at Miami of Ohio. Is that right? That's where I started my career. Yeah. I finished started. At Ohio. Now, tell me this college yeah. athletics, what, yeah. you know, and into the professional ranks, what did, you know, what, what did you learn from that? What did that teach you that you are um, glad that you, you know, uh, got from that sport from athletics. I mean, it's just a big transition in life going to college. So I didn't have, I, I played for two legendary high school coaches, Bob Gregg and Ron Allery. I didn't have them anymore. I learned that I kind of needed them. Um, so I had to grow up pretty fast. I didn't have them on my back. I didn't have them pushing me all the time. Not that my college coaches didn't, but, but they had a hundred guys and I was just one of them. And in high school, I, I started, you know, as a freshman, um, from the beginning of my freshman season. So, I was kind of in a position to to get a lot of attention from our coaches uh, because I played an important position, quarterback, sure. and uh, played my entire career. So um, I probably took me some time to grow up. I also, from day one, walking on campus at Miami University, 
uh, had the stiffest competition of my life. I still have yet to have that much competition, and that was with Ben Roethlisberger. We played the same position. We're the exact same age and uh, same recruiting class. So I, I, I think it was really good for me to face that competition on a daily basis, and we competed in everything we did, whether it was on the field, in the meeting room, weight room, classroom, socially, whatever. And I think that's it's, it's a highly uh, stressful uh, situation. We roomed together on the road for every game for those two years. Um, and I just got to see what excellence looks like up close. I, I got to see a world-class player. I mean, he's the, greatest, he's the greatest athlete in the history of the school. Just happened to be there same time as me and play the same position. So that I am very grateful for the opportunity. He obviously beat me out for the job. And I think that was good for an 18, 19-year-old kid like me to be to be humbled um, by somebody who was just flat out better than me, regardless of how hard, hard of how hard I worked sure. and I learned a very valuable lesson there because the world doesn't care how hard you think you work. The world doesn't care what you think you deserve. The, in, in that, in that place, in that case, as you know, as a football guy, the guy who gives the team the best chance to win is going to play. doesn't matter. Nothing else really matters. And I think that's awesome. I, I think that's the way life should be. Um, nobody cares how hard I work. Nobody cares how hard I prepare or nobody cares about any of that. They care about what I can produce. They care about the value I can add to their lives. And I learned that when I was 18 years old, uh, because while I could complain and tell you should see what I do in the weight room and in the film room and how I'm prepared, they don't care. When we got in the game field, he played better than me. When we got during our scrimmages, he played better than me in the spring game. He played better than me. Well, he's going to be the guy when we got on the game on game days on Saturdays, he obviously, he played better than me. And so um, that is just a great, great lesson to learn early in your life that nobody really cares uh, what you think you deserve or how hard you work. They care what you can produce. And in that case, I didn't produce enough. And so now I've kind of lived my life always thinking about how am I adding value to people's lives? What am I producing? What am I doing? Knowing that nobody cares really about anything else. So that's what I try to do. And I think that work, then the result of that works usually is my podcast and my books and the things that um, have have helped people. So uh, I'm I'm just really grateful for that opportunity that I had to compete against one of the best in the world. That's awesome, you know. And that's you know the mindset around you know you go in at the same time as Big Ben, and you're grateful for you know having done that. Whereas some people would you know probably be soured and think, man, how unlucky am I to go in you know with Big Ben? I think that how we interpret things are is huge you know and being grateful for the opportunities is huge did, did you know this has nothing to do with a whole lot but did you know he was as good as he was at that time I mean he's a highly talented recruit he only played quarterback one year in high school though but he put up a huge numbers that was before everybody put up huge numbers like they do today um but he he uh yeah I mean we knew he was good I knew they wanted him I mean there was a third quarterback in our class too who was the number one player in the state of Indiana now Indiana football is not not quite Ohio football um but still he was six five big dude you know and we both beat him out within a couple of days but but then it was a battle for two years so yeah I knew he was good and then I obviously I saw how good he was up close because you know it was we were flipping coins to see who got to go with the ones each day for those first couple of years. And, and, and so I got to watch it up close to see, okay, this guy's really good. And then, and then our first game, our second year, we played at Michigan and Ben was probably the best player on the field. And that was his very first game playing because he redshirted uh, his freshman year. So that's, a, that's a pretty telling statement when we're in the big house against U University of Michigan, there's obviously a lot of NFL guys on that field 
And uh, it was pretty evident that Ben was Ben was probably the most talented player. I mean, he made a, a bunch of plays. We still lost, but he made a bunch of plays that gave us a shot to win that game. Awesome. All right, let me ask you this. Probably a, a tougher question. Um, are there things from, you know, say high school, college, were there things that you didn't learn from sports that you wish you had learned that, you know, that you have learned since then that you wish you could have learned earlier? Um, and let me preface that by saying this, you know, like Brian Kite, you know, which he shared, you know, he played division two ball, you know, and he wanted to be great. And he, you know, he never understood why coaches coached him really hard in the squat and the power clean and the back pedal, but they didn't coach him really hard, you know, in some of the behavior skills that it would take to be ultra successful, like awareness, self-discipline, um, confidence, you know, like, so that's my, you know, I'm just curious. Are there things that you've learned since then that you wish you would have learned earlier? Yeah, well, since I played a while ago, I think it's much more normal for coaches to, I mean, graduate college in 2005. It's much more normal for coaches to work on the whole human today than they used to. Before, it was primarily about football and make sure, sure. you stay eligible in the classroom. So would I have listened at that age? I'm not sure. Um, but but no, there wasn't any of that type of thing. So I think Brian's definitely correct. I mean, Brian and I are around the same age. Um, as well as, I think one of the one of the things that actually I had to unlearn from football, uh, especially as a quarterback, being a quarterback in Division One college football is a zero sum game. What I mean by that is only one guy gets to play. So in order for me to win, every other quarterback has to lose. And in order for Ben to win in that case, then we all had to lose that we're, we're trying for that job. When there aren't really many other positions like that, there are five offensive linemen, you'll, you'll shuffle them around to play your best guys, even if it's that that's not their primary position. There are defensive linemen rotating constantly, you're going to play there's three or four linebackers, right? DBs, you could play other positions, receivers, same thing. Quarterbacks, the only one where only one guy gets to play. And so when your whole life from second grade until even after college is in order for me to win, you have to lose. You don't live with an abundance mindset. And so you, you get out into the real world and you still are thinking like a quarterback. Okay. For me to win, everybody else has got to lose. That is not a good way to go through life. That's a bad way to go through life. And I remember I read give and take by Adam Grant and it, and it had a profound effect on me because it, he, he, he showed all the science that backed up that the, the greatest way to achieve what you want is to help others be successful. And um, that seems basic or like, of course, that's true. But I mean, the way he told those stories and the science to back all of it up really hit home for me. And I started to, to try to shift how I viewed other people. Like when I was a brand new sales rep at LexisNexis, I kind of hoarded all of the information I was learning. I hoarded my email templates. I did not really share a ton with my team. I shared the bare minimum of what my manager would make me. But I was really all about being number one in the stack rankings, and I didn't care very much for anybody else. Um, that is obviously a, not the way to show up in the working world. Um, you should try to be a mentor. You should try to help your teammates. You should try to help your boss win. And in my case, I was like, I'm helping my boss by selling a lot. That was it. That was just immature. That was a zero-sum style of approach to, to work. And luckily, luckily, I had people older than me and great mentors who really were willing to, to look me right in the eye and say, what are you doing? Like, you need to start mentoring people. You need to genuinely help people. You need to care for others and not just yourself if you care to build any sort of a career. No one's going to want to work with you. They don't want to work with a sales guy who, yeah, he hits his numbers, but he's not a team player. 
And uh, so the combination of reading and having great mentors really opened my eyes. And it, it, I did see that things got better for me as I helped more people. And then not, not only that, I really felt a sense of fulfillment by helping other people do well. And then I eventually got promoted uh, a few times. And you're not going to get promoted to leadership roles if you're not helping other people. So I think that was what I had to almost unlearn was the zero-sum world of quarterback play where if, in order for me to win, everybody else got to lose. And uh, I um, that took a while. That just took some, took, took some time. But I eventually kind of grew out of that, and I, I'm, I think I'm better off for it. No doubt about it, man. I absolutely love that. You know, one thing I've, you know, and in, in the name of the show, man, like I try every single day to get up and figure out how to be better today than I was yesterday. Okay. So one of the things that I have done for a long time is go in search of people that are great at what I want to be great at and befriend them. And what I have found is this, the greatest high school football coaches in America, they have zero issues sharing everything they know. Zero. Okay. The ones that may not be, you know, in that category of elite, sometimes they do. They fear that you're going to get a secret. They fear that you're going to, you know, when I took, I took this job here in Nixon, Missouri, three years ago, retired from Mississippi. And the first phone call I made was a guy named John Roderick. He is the third winningest coach in America at Web City. And my first day on the job, I spent at Web City all day long. And he told me everything about their whole program. He had not, I mean, like there was nothing, you know, like there was nothing to gain on his end, but service to other people, you know, like awesome. his, and it was absolutely awesome, you know, and I think I have found that. And I think mentorship is awesome. And that leads me to this, like one of your interviews you did, like, okay, I would call him a mentor of mine. Okay. Which if you can do that for somebody you've never met, George Raveling. Mm-hmm. George Raveling made the statement at 82 years old that he had a 10 year plan in place for his life. And it just like, you know, like I, I was just, wow. You know, what, what, what do you remember? You know, what George Raveling, what stood out? Because that's one that I've listened to several times because it made such an impression on me, you know, how he at 82 was still seeking mentors in his life. I love George, uh, and it's cool to see him get some do in the Michael Jordan movie Air that just came out. No doubt. Uh, that's on Amazon now. Uh, great scene with him about the Martin Luther King Jr. speech. Um, so I actually flew to L.A. for that one. I wanted to meet him in person. I, I, I wanted to use that opportunity. I was very fortunate to have a, a mutual friend introduce us, and uh, I said I would, I'd be I, – I do offer this up to some, and, and some take me up on it, and, and a lot of them say we'll, we'll do Zoom, but – I said, I'm willing to do it on Zoom or, or go wherever you are in the world to, to, to interview you. Um, that's part of when I reach out cold. In this case, it was warm, but he said, sure, come out to L.A. So I did. I flew out there and a super welcoming guy. He had a, 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 a nice small team in his office, all, as he called them, young dudes, surrounds himself with young dudes. That's a big thing. If you listen to the episode, you know he said that a couple of times. And... Um, we sat there and talked about books and he just flipped through books and notes before we recorded for probably an hour. And then we did the same thing after we got done recording where his office, if I think I posted some pictures years ago, but there's just books everywhere and he's got notes and highlights and he's just a curious guy who's constantly reading. It seems like what he's, he's, he's very um, curious about, okay, w what books do you have? And I, and, and I knew this, um, 
that he loved books so much that I brought brought him a handful of books, and then he did the same thing to me. Uh, I had heard that that's what he's known for. So I thought that was pretty neat. But what I was most inspired by is, like you said, he's in his 80s. He's, he easily could be sitting on his rocking chair just dispelling all of the great wisdom and advice to help other people. And he's, he, he does. He shares everything he's got. But he's also inquisitive and still a, a voracious reader and learner. Um, and as I mentioned at the beginning of this, he surrounds himself with young people to stay fresh in the world of like, what am I missing? Um, uh, what's out there? And he, he doesn't he's not, not in a patronizing way. He does it, in it with genuine curiosity for all of these people. And, you know, one of his best friends is Ryan Holiday, who's much younger than him. And I know him and Ryan have a, a great, great deep relationship of, of really based around learning and writing and curiosity. So I hope George writes his book. I challenge him to do it there. He writes a lot uh, online, but I'd love for it to be in a, in a book um, at some point. But he just a it makes you feel good. Um, I would say, John, when 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 you meet other people like him who just bring such a force of generosity and spirit, it makes me just want to be a better person when I'm hanging around guys like that. That he that is exactly what I gathered, you know, from the podcast. And I have listened to every podcast that he's ever done, just because, you know, that's that's a individual that I want to model my life after. Like I want to continue to try to be relevant to you know, develop relationships. And, you know, he talks about reaching out to Ryan Holiday, just, you know, to stay fresh, you know, to figure out how somebody probably 50 years is younger, you know, sees the world. And, you know, I think that is absolutely awesome because what's also probably uh, very common in today's society is when you do become successful, staying at the top of the game, the Alabamas of the world, to me, that's more complicated than, you know, winning or getting good for a little bit, you know, like when mm -hmm. you, when you get good, how do you stay good, you know, and George Raveling has been a guy that, you know, has been at the top of his field for a long, and it continues to, you know, Nick Saban's the same way, you know, like, if anybody could rest on what they've done, it's him, you know, but that's not the way he's built, you know, like, well, the, you yeah, because it's not like, get good and stay good it's get good and get better i mean i think that's how they show up that's how they approach what they're doing i don't think for a second i think they're able to be happy and, and have fulfillment and be content but they're never fully satisfied with where they're at uh definitely a sabin's like that uh ryan day here at ohio state is is is, is a guy like that and george Raveling is certainly like that but that that, that they get to a level but it's the it's the JJ Reddick, right? You've never arrived, you're always becoming. I think that's the ethos, that's the mindset that that is another commonality of these uh, leaders who sustain excellence over time is is that they never have these arrival moments. They win a championship, that's awesome, right? Great, we'll celebrate, we'll have fun, but that doesn't mean you've arrived. And I, I think it's this always becoming mindset that is that does seem to be a commonality amongst those who do it again and again and again. And and to me that is also inspiring uh, as for how I should be showing up of, yes, we should celebrate. Yes, we should be happy, but we've never arrived. We're always becoming. No doubt about it. That's awesome. All right. Let me ask you this question. I got a buddy that coaches with me that just so happened to call about 30 minutes before we did this. Um, and I asked him, you know, what would you ask Brian Hawk? If you, you know, if you had the, uh, he said, you know, sometimes in leadership, the statement is made more is caught than is taught. Okay. What do you want 
you know, your family to catch from you, you know, like, and that could be, you know, family wise, business wise, worker wise, like, what do you want down the line to be duplicated? What do you want them to catch, you know, from you? Uh, I love this question um, because I firmly believe that your children, um, they, we need to be the model for them. Uh, I can say whatever I want to say. They're watching much more than they're listening. Uh, some days they're not listening at all, but they're always watching. They always see what's going on. First and foremost, I want them to see how a man should treat a woman. Um, that I think about that. I was just home for lunch right before this. And I intentionally overdo it. Um, that is an intentional behavior. Overdo doing the hugs, the kisses, the thank yous, the I love yous, and the specificity behind the compliments um, and the respect that their mom uh, receives from me. So I think that is a, I, I view that as a very important job for me as a man in the house that my daughters see this is how you should be treated. Um, if I disrespect their mom, if I treat her poorly, I, I would expect that they'll grow up and think it's okay to be treated that way. It's sure. not okay. And so I want them to catch that. I want them to catch it every day. I want them to do the gagging noises where they say, stop, you know, because, yeah. because of what we're doing and or whatever type of affection we're showing each other. Um, but I, but I, I want them to know that. And I think that's, that's huge. I secondly, um, I want them to see how hard we work. My, uh, their mom and uh, my wife, Miranda, she works very hard. She has a full-time job. Um, she's a leader of leaders, right? So she's leading managers at a, at a, a big-time tech company. Um, they see how hard she works. They see how hard I work. Um, I think we should be very productive. I think we should do a lot. And I think our work should be in service of helping other people. Um, that is a big, big maxim I learned both from my dad's dad, my grandpa, and my dad uh, and my mom. I think that that's huge that we work really hard and we work hard in service of other people. And then three, part of the the inspiration for me to leave corporate, corporate America in late 2017 to do this full-time podcast and consult and lead, lead leaders was be, I, I am inspired to show the people I love the most and the people that I hope, you know, love me the most that you can build a career um, doing anything you want as long as you help people. Um, if, if it's in service of others and you're constantly adding value to the lives of others, who knows what you could do? Even 10 years ago, if you would have said, hey, you could start a podcast and off the back of that podcast, you could create some sort of consulting business where you're going to have a, a set of the coolest and best clients in the world. You're going to write books. You're going to get paid uh, advertising on your pot, like all this crazy stuff, man, there is no way I would have believed any element of that. I would have said, I'm going to work in corporate America forever. And by the way, I had a great job, like great team, great company, great benefit, like all that stuff. I didn't run away from any of it. I loved it. It's just, I was going to something that was just insanely cool and inspiring to show them that you could potentially do anything. Now, you still have to work really hard. You still got to be in service of other people. You got to you got to add value, right? All that's part of it, but you can do that. So that's another part of my inspiration that I want caught by them is is like when people say, "What is my job?" and they don't know what to say or they laugh. They go, "Well, he has a podcast and he writes books and he gives speeches and he does." It's like there's no like there's like a lot of commas, and I think that's kind of cool that they see. Well, you can kind of. If you're willing to work at it and you're willing to help people, you could maybe build something that we didn't even think was possible. That is awesome. That, that is a fantastic answer. 
you know, thinking about leaving corporate America and jumping into, you know, what you did, there had to be some fear involved in that. How did you personally overcome the fear of, you know, what, you know, I mean, fear bites us all, right? I mean, it's probably one of the biggest things in the world that holds people back in all realms of life. Like, how did you overcome that fear of, you know, I'm fixing to leave this, jump into this and, you know, see what happens. It, it starts having a great partner. Um, I, I, to me, uh, you just can't undersell the importance of your life partner. Um, deep belief from Miranda, my wife, in in the stuff that I do. Uh, a, a just just a bedrock of support. So I think it's it starts there. Also, like more more practically, um, the market was telling me. I mean, I was working hard for three years with all this stuff on the side. I was maximizing all of my PTO, my paid time off days in my corporate job to go give speeches, to go consult, to go help. It got to a point where I, I had to make a choice. It was going to become too much of a distraction from my normal, my regular job, which was a, a VP of sales, a leading leaders who then led a big team who were responsible for $500 million of revenue for a company. It was a sizable uh, uh, responsibility. So to me, though, when enough of those inquiries and requests were coming in, and and the you could see the potential of the the, the money to be earned uh, doing something that was really cool, we sat down and talked and said, like I said, I don't know if this is going to work. Obviously, the first year it's going to be a huge pay cut. The second year it will be too, and maybe by the third year we can get back to where we're at. But there's definitely no guarantee of that because those corporate VP jobs when you're responsible for a lot, you know, they pay well. And so, um, and, and Miranda didn't even hesitate. She's like, this is awesome. Like how, how cool is, of course. Yes. And it, cause I, cause I was putting, you know, what, 25, 30% effort into that because I was putting all the rest of my effort into my job, um, and family time. So she's like, what if you put a hundred percent of your effort in that stuff? Like what could happen? And you know, now it's, it, it seems obvious it's 20, 2023. And that was into 2017. But it definitely wasn't obvious at the time, man. I mean, it was it was definitely scary. Um, but it also helps leading up to that day to be living below your means, to be saving a lot, to be all those practical things that aren't very fun to talk about. But all that stuff was helpful too. That even if I did take a big hit, we'd be okay. And and I did for a few years. But you know, now we're in a much better position than we were then. And I think um, to me, it's got it got practical. I had great support, and then you know, once it once it got gone, man, I worked really hard, just like we do in football. Like, if you want to, if you want to win games on Friday night, if you want to win state championships, if you want to win in the playoffs, all that stuff happens in January and February and June and July and August. Like that's that's when all that stuff gets gets kind of set. And to me, I try to take that same approach to my business, and I still do. That's awesome. That's a great answer. Um, you know, I I, I think other than you know, the decision to follow Christ, picking that mate has yeah. got to be one of the biggest decisions that a person can make, you know, good or bad. And I've told many of coaches, you know, like you either have a fantastic coach's wife and have an opportunity to be successful or you do not. It's pretty simple. You know, like if you don't have the support of that person, because you know, in, in, you know, I mean, in the athletic world, the time that it takes, the involvement that the wife has to be with the program, because, you know, a lot of your time together is going to be at a stadium or at a field or at a, you know, like it is huge. And it's not just in, you know, uh, 
our profession. It's in all professions. So that's absolutely true. So true. Let me ask you so, this. So true. A term, um, imposter syndrome. And this is why I asked this, you know, like I listened, I think it was today on my, on my walk. I'm listening to your uh, latest interview with James Clear, who I'm a huge fan, Atomic Habits, man, unbelievable. And the topic comes up something like, um, you know, since you wrote the book, like you got to be perfect, right? Like everybody's got to think that he's perfect. Like his habits are perfect. His, right. you know, like, do you ever... I know, I mean, like adversity hits, adversity hits everybody, right? That's part of life, you know, do, imposter syndrome. Like, do you ever struggle with that? Because you have become so skilled, you know, in so many different behavior skills, but life does hit, you know, like life does, you know, when life takes a turn, whether it's, you know, business, family, whatever, how do you recalibrate yourself? You know, do, do you ever have issues with that? So definitely, um, to me, I'm a believer. I, I, I said it earlier, but confidence needs evidence. Um, the best way to get good is to get going. And so I think you have to act before you're ready. You have to get after it. James Clear said to me, one of the first interviews I did with him years ago, it, it, it start before you re you're ready is what, what he said. So I think I remember as a freshman playing, was I confident before I played that very first game against Cincinnati Oak Hills as a 14-year-old freshman before even our school had had started yet? We had our first game before school started. Of course not. Now, I got a lot of reps in practice. Uh, I, I had a good, pretty good understanding of our offense and what we were doing, and I, I was, you know, I could execute it relatively well. But how confident was I was I after that first game versus before that first game? A lot. I performed. I helped our team win that first game. I threw a game winner winning touchdown. I executed a great play action fake and hit my guy in stride, right? That <clears throat> produced a lot of confidence. So whenever I have imposter syndrome, I think back to the moments, the evidence that I've created for myself. Now, I think it's hard to be confident if you haven't created that evidence. So that could be preparation and how you work and how you watch film or what you do in the weight room. I think that builds confidence, like a ton of practice reps, that builds it. And then certainly you build on that even more when you're out playing. And in the business world, the same thing, whether it's speaking, running a meeting, having a one-on-one, -on -one, whatever the, the activity is, think of each time you do it as a repetition to create evidence for yourself that you get, that you get better. The imposter syndrome sneaks up on me at times with writing because every day I'm reading stuff written by like Morgan Housel or James Clear or Adam Grant or Tim Urban or Paulina Pompliano and these people who are just world, world class and you sit your stuff up side by side. Yeah, there's a little imposter syndrome at times because you feel like it's not good enough. But then I talk to them usually off air or they'll show me their first drafts which Ryan Holiday has been very gr uh, gracious with showing me a lot of his first drafts. And they're still great, don't get me wrong. But the first versus the final are vastly different in a lot of these people's cases. Not all of them. Uh, Morgan's pretty good first draft writer, Morgan Halzo. But, but, but for the most part, like we all need work. And so to me, don't compare your like first draft to somebody else's final draft. In fact, it's probably not useful to compare yourself to anybody else when it comes to those things. It's good to kind of have mentors and people you look up to, but I think that also doesn't really serve you well as if you're going to compare your first draft to other people's final drafts. And I use it as a, a metaphor to, to, to in any elements of life, but 
that that also helps in addition to providing evidence for myself to be confident about whatever the task is. Sure. And I think, you know, that's probably, you know, social media has probably made that a lot yeah. um, larger issue today because, you know, you do look at James Clear or you do look at Ryan Hawk or Ed Milet and you think, man, everything's perfect. No, it ain't. You know what I'm saying? Like they're waking up and dealing with life the same way everybody else is, but it's easy to think Ryan Holiday's books are perfect and he never struggles and he never has an issue, you know, like that's um, comparison is the thief of all joy, right? Like I know that's um, tough and I'm a, I'm a huge Ryan Holiday fan. Like I think his books and I can see, um, I can see his influence on you, you know, like Mm -hmm. your two books, welcome to management, which I devoured and your second (laughs) book that I'm looking at the pursuit of excellence. Right. I devoured Mm -hmm. both of them because how could those two books not be great? So if you have not purchased those two books, please go on there and purchase them today because, you know, Welcome to Management was written after 300 interviews with some of the most successful people in the world. And what I can kind of pick out, you know, I, and this may be just me, okay, but like Ryan Holiday does such a great job of using stories to tell stories, you know, mm-hmm. and in your books, there is a there is the same theme, you know, like um, I think it's the pursuit of excellence kicks off with a story of the Wright brothers. Right. Like mm-hmm. the Wright brothers, one of my favorite stories of all time, because they weren't really the ones supposed to, you know, come up with this flight thing. Like somebody else had all the support in the world, but their reasons for doing it were totally different. You know, like the Wright brothers were doing it for service. Um, the mm-hmm. other fellow was doing it for uh notoriety or what have you um but i see the com you know the common there is some uh influence he's had is would you say that's a fair assessment oh sure i mean i I, when you look at the structure of story science practical application that's what i try to that's how i try to give keynote speeches and and how i try to write so the, the story grabs your attention it makes it interesting the science proves it true and the practical application answers the question like so what why should i care how can this help me and and because I, I I want us to be people of action, uh, people who are actually doing something versus just reading and taking notes. So um, I'm in, deeply influenced by by his writing, by Adam Grant's, by Morgan's, by uh, Paulina's. I I think the people I I read them every day, and it can't you can't help but have that kind of pour out of you when when you're sitting down to write. Um, but it's it's really hard, and I in a way that's why it's gratifying. That's why I think writing books will probably always be probably always be something that I do mainly because of the challenge for myself. Um, and writing is the ultimate clarity tool. So if you want to get clear on what you believe, write it down because, because you, 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 you know what you think what's in your head, but you aren't fully sure until you to get those words out of your head down onto the page. And to me, that's why all leaders should have some sort of a writing practice, whether, whether you're going to publish it or not, uh, it's a tool to get to get more clear and all of us need to need to be clear when it comes to, to leading other people. Guardian caps are lightweight, one size fits all football helmet covers for practice. They reduce 20 to 33% of the impact depending on the speed and the location. 
Great for the repetitive subconcussive blows that add up throughout the week. Also great for body blows. Used by Clemson, Penn State, Washington, Oklahoma, 150 other colleges, and about 2,000 high schools across the country. Also protect that helmet. If your helmets are getting beat up at the end of the year, Guardian Caps can help protect that helmet investment. Let me ask you this, like your system for writing, because, you know, the one thing that I saw pretty quick, you know, like book one, you know, we're in three parts, lead yourself, build your team, lead your team. Book two, we're in three parts, the build, the fuel, the chase, you know, like where did your system for writing, how did, how did that, how tough was that? And where did that come from? So um, I'm constantly collecting notes. Uh, Anytime, anywhere, uh, I use my phone a lot to document my notes. Um, anytime an idea or a story, I'm documenting it immediately, usually in the notes uh, section of my phone. And then when I get back to my computer, I'll take all my notes that are compiled and try to f- f- create some sort of structure. But the beginning process is very messy. Um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's just a bunch of different stories or themes or ideas. And then after that, and sometimes at the same time, it's it's figuring out, okay, what's the theme here? What's my through point? What, what's my argument? One of the people I hire to help me, um, to help edit my work is a, a, a former 10-year prosecutor. And a, a, a prosecutor needs to make convincing arguments to put the bad guys in jail. And so he helps me make my writing, uh, he makes helps me make them stronger arguments. And I'm a big believer in getting help from people who are world-class at what they do, uh, paying them whatever you have to do um, in order to do that. So my process involves multiple people. It involves uh, 24-7 brain on, note-taking, walking, whatever it may be, uh, getting that down, then getting to the computer and really trying to like get it all out. Then after that is the structure and figuring out the through point of like how, do we, how does one build on the other? How should we order this? What is, how does it make sense? And then eventually, in, in the case of books, you know, which there's always tweaks up into the last possible day before that sucker's going to print. Um, and then we get there. And then afterwards, I get the book. And of course, I want to change half the stuff. So, I mean, it's just, it's just kind of how it goes. But, but that's, that's kind of the, the, the never that, – that's the one good thing about the artifact as a book is like it forces you. It forces you to say, like, this is it. Okay, this is it. Like, I got to let this go. Um, and I think that's probably good for a person like me because if not, I would tinker on it forever. And at some point, you just got to publish it. Yes, your mind's going to evolve. You, you may change, but that's okay. Like, that's life. I mean, that's, that's how it happens. Then you move on to the next one. So to, to me, it's hard, especially that last day because I know I'm probably not going to fully agree with all this stuff. Um, but, but I think probably everybody who writes deals with that. So I just have to suck it up and move forward. For sure. Well, I'm going to tell you what. They are both absolutely fantastic, and you know you don't know this, and you probably don't care. About twelve or thirteen years ago, I made a decision that I was going to wake up every single morning of my life and read first thing. So awesome. five o'clock, I wake up and read. It, it's about a hundred books a year. Well, wow, hundred books a year, a hundred books a year. I mean, it's Whew. unbelievable. I, I can I can't show you. Well, I mean, you can't see, but my office is probably very similar to George Raveling. There's books everywhere. Like I am a fanatic what are but some of your favorites point, not mine what are some of your favorites not mine like what are like top of your head like oh I, that, that's a quake book like it you know it shattered you like all of brian holidays okay um, I, I mean i devour them um my favorite book of all time is probably man's search for meaning by victor frankel you know yep. like which was that you know uh was given to me by brian kite as far as to read that um 
I'm a huge John Wooden fan. So I've read every book that's ever been written, probably the greatest coach to ever have graced the field or court of any sport. Um, I'm a big John Gordon fan. They're obviously really quick read, fast reads. Um, uh, man, I'm telling you. And and this is what I've come yeah. to. And this is what I was going to say was, and, and George Raveling has kind of said this, like when I, I get into, and I, I read like three books at a time, mm-hmm. you know, and if I get into one that I struggle to pick up, I just put it down. And I, I mean, I go to another book, like I'm not fixing yeah. the, you know, but your two books were devoured. When I get into one that I really love and I forget to pick up the other two, you know, that to me is how I classify how great it was, you know, and that's, yeah. um, that's what I have done. The one I just finished comfort crisis by Michael, Michael Easter. Easter. I don't so know good. if you've interviewed him yet, yeah. or not, but that he, story is crazy. That book is, you know, and it was another one. I just picked it up and I couldn't put it down, you know, so I skipped everything else. Um, you know, when it came to that, but your two books are fantastic. And they were definitely books that I picked up, read, underlined, went back through, you know, like, you know, I think they are fantastic um, and have helped me uh, tremendously. I know we're getting um, close on time. Let me ask you this systems, you know, like, you know, we have an offensive system, we have a defensive system, we have a system of special teams. What systems do you use in your life that helps you to be more excellent, whether that is, you know, like morning routines, evening routine, like what systems, you know, are there, are there certain things that you do that help you to be or move toward or want to be elite? Uh, Charlie Munger talked about the commonalities he's seen in people who rise in life. That's, that are his words. The ones who rise in life are the ones who are learning machines that flows very well with what I'm about, the learning leader show, right? Being a learning machine. So to me, I, I try to define what is my system to be a learning machine. And the question, the prompt, it's very simple, but effective if you stack enough these days, is at the end of each day, ask yourself, what did I do today to be a little bit wiser going to bed than I was when I woke up? That's it. What did I do today? Like in your case, like I read 50 pages of these two or three books. And I talked to this person on my podcast and whatever. What did I do today to be a little bit wiser going to bed than I was when I woke up? And if you stack those day, days, day after day after day after day, you're going to be in a good position. So to me, one of the systems is really four parts to ensure I'm going to bed a little bit wiser. One, I have to fuel my intake engine. So the way I fuel that is by doing things like I just mentioned. Read books, talk to mentors, record a podcast, watch TED Talks whatever it may be, right? Fuel it, fuel that intake engine. What are you taking in? Second, I need to experiment. I need to actually put it into action. I need to do something with it. We can't just sit in the corner and take notes all day. We got to go do it. We got to get on the field, right? We got to put, hey, I'm I'm, I'm trying a new scheme. We got to go do it. It's the only way to fully learn, right? Have the mind of an experimenter, do it. Third, pause, take a step back, reflect. What worked? What didn't? What should I keep doing? What should I stop doing, right? What is it? Make sure you 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 have times to reflect to reflect. This is an issue in corporate America with senior leaders. They don't build enough time in their days to be reflective and to actually think, right? There's constantly meetings. I think that's a problem. We, we need to get better at that. Fourth, and the final one that really brings this home for me is teach it to somebody else. The greatest way for me to learn is when I am either going to get up on stage and share what I believe, 
I am going to write it down for the purposes of being published in an essay or a book, or I'm meeting one-on-one with a mentee. Teaching uh, is just one of the greatest learning tools, maybe the greatest learning tool there is. And so if I spend a day fueling my intake engine, experimenting, taking action, reflecting, thinking what worked, what didn't, and then teaching somebody else, that is a great day. That is a, that is a great way to ensure I'm going to bed a little bit wiser than when I woke up. And, and so anybody can create their own system. That to me is what is my learning machine system and how can I stack day after day after day and then watch compounding take, take care of itself and, and, and everything else, uh, the results us- usually follow. So that's my system. That's what I try to do. That's, those, that's the prompt I ask myself. That's how I try to implement it. That's the very simple way to do it. And, and to me, it's, it's, you know, it's led to some really cool opportunities and people to meet. And, uh, and, and so that's why uh, I try to do it. Man, that is absolutely fantastic. That could be my favorite answer that we've had today. And it has made me um, better. And it's going to have made a bunch of people better. Let me read this to you. I I screenshot this earlier because I, I feel like, I feel like this explains somewhat of the benefit of, you know, you doing the podcast or even myself getting started. Tell me if you've heard this before. In the case of a change in cabin pressure, be sure to place the resulting oxygen mask over your own face first before assisting anyone else, even your children. So throughout the process of interviewing 530 different people, you have also fueled yourself tremendously. Would that be a would that be a true statement? I mean, that's the, that's the, yeah, that was the whole point. I mean, I started on the side after I got my MBA so that I could follow my own curiosity. I built the reason it was built as a, as a podcast partially was because I thought it would give me a greater chance for the people I was asking to talk to, to say, yes. Um, if, if I said, Hey, will you, can I call you to Simon Sinek or Seth Godin? They're not even going to respond to my email. Right. But I've asked them to come on my podcast, especially if I built it up, I got a shot, you know, and in, that, in, in those cases, multiple times. So, um, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, my podcast is for myself. It's me following my own curiosity. Now, I get great joy out of seeing it help other people. Um, but it, it, if I'm not curious about the guest, if I'm not really into it, I will not do it um, I, because I know the prep, just like all the prep you've done for today, I know the amount of prep it takes to make it good. So if you're not actually curious about the guests, it's not going to be any good. Um, so yeah, I would say, and that's why if you look at the order of welcome to management, right, what's the first section? It's you got to lead yourself. So I don't think you're going to be any good at leading other people until you get really good at leading yourself. And that never stops. That's a never ending pursuit. So uh, I love the quote. I think it makes a lot of sense. It's a great metaphor for life that if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't lead yourself, it doesn't, it, nothing else really matters um, b- because it, it's, it's really, uh, it starts with you um, before you can be effective with others. No doubt. And, and you know, uh, James Clear, when the topic came up about how great was his habits, made the statement that, you know, people write books because they need them the most. Yeah. So like, yeah. I'm a hundred percent in line with that for sure, which is a large reason why I wanted to start this. Let me yeah. read you this. Um, tell me if you recognize this. I'm reading this out of The Pursuit of Excellence, okay? Chapter one. Um, 
The key to pursuing excellence is to embrace an organic long-term learning process and not to live in a shell of static, safe mediocrity. Usually growth comes to comes at the expense of previous comfort or safety. Josh, is it Waitskin? Mm-hmm. What about that? I mean, to me, that sums up, it sums up the learning leader. It sums up what we should do in life. You know, like what's your thoughts on that quote? Yeah. I mean, that's why I chose it as a header of it. Um, It really spoke to me that it's not, if you're completely comfortable all the time, you're probably not growing. Um, If you win a hundred percent of the time, you're not pushing hard enough, right? You're not, your schedule's not good enough, right? You're, you're, you're not, you're not going for it. And and so it's just another great reminder if I get too comfortable or if things are too easy or if I'm not nervous, if I'm not uh, feeling it, then I'm not pushing hard enough. And I think that's just the only way you grow is you have this willingness to, to keep pushing and to keep to keep going. And that mentality is not for everyone. Every once in a while, I'll talk about what we're talking about right now after at the, during the Q&A of a keynote speech, and you'll get some people that roll their eyes. They just don't want to do that. And that's fine. As Seth Godin said, it's not for everybody. Um, it, it, it's, it's not the life for everybody, but it is for me. And, and it does seem to be for the people who, who follow what I do. They seem to, to get energized by that. But, but to me, yeah, I'm, I'm regularly thinking of that. And I sense myself like, I don't know if I'm pushing hard enough. And it's just a good reminder of, well, that's because, you know, everything I'm doing is, is kind of squarely within my current zone of comfort and competency. And that's not, that's not to me, at least that's not a good way to live. Sure. I'll tell you, you know, like I, in, Again, you don't know and don't care. I've lost about 100 pounds in the last 15 months, okay? I just decided wow. that I was nice. going to become more healthy. Well, my eating habits in the last week or two started slipping a little bit. So <laughs> I showed up at football the other day wearing a 25-pound weighted vest, and I wore that joker all day long just because <laughs> I wanted to remind myself of, you know, like why I've done what I've done. You know what I'm saying? Like I needed a reminder, you know, like I needed something because – I had become comfortable. It had become easy. And it, 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 you know, your habits start slipping just because you develop a habit don't mean you're going to keep it for the rest of your life, you know? So, um, you know, True. I think we do have to get uncomfortable from time to time. All right. At the, I know, I know we're going to conclude, man, I'm so thankful. I want to, I want to do this and you, I want you to give me one word. And this is, this is not a game. I guess it is a game, but I went through today, 530, um episodes of the learning leader and i just picked out some of the ones that were huge for me so what okay. i want you to do is give me one word that defines the person that i give you if you can oh god i don't know i know i, I know it'll be fun though <laughs> it'll be fun all right all right ed Milet. one more <laughs> oh ooh. that's two words but that's really good because that yeah. is that's great. Okay. Um, Les Brown. Um, kind. Ooh, I like it. Um, Jim Collins. Mentor. Woo. Hey, Jim Collins. When, when I started my reading, uh, 13 years ago ish, I went to a coaching clinic and a coach that had won a bunch of games said that he had, um, read the book, good to great. I went home and read that book. That was the book that kicked off my 
desire to wake up every single day and read, man. I think that Love dude it. is a rock star. Yeah. Um, and this next one is might have been the second book, Carol Dweck. Growth. Woo. Yes. Yeah. I mean, phenomenal, right? Like, yeah. I would love to meet her. Um, yeah. Simon Sinek. Sinek. Um, the first word that came to mind was why. Uh, right. There's more to the word why, but that's the first thing that came to mind was when you know, some people talk about knowing your why. And that's all I think comes from Simon's work. Yes. And his, you know, his little uh, video snippet of Apple's why, you know, is one yeah. of the most popular videos that I've ever seen. Yep. Um, Jesse Itzler. Wild dude. I, lo I love him, but he's wild. <laughs> I, I love him too. I showed our team the other day about an eight minute video. He's talking about how he finished one of the races and the Navy SEAL that helped him, you know, the, what the things that you tell yourself, um, mm -hmm. two more Jim Trussell. Uh, I love coach Trussell. I, Hmm. Just giving. I mean, he's such a giver. He, he's been, he's helped our family so much. Just, sure. but yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I could go on about it. I just, he just, I just love him. He's just an amazing, amazing person. And he has a fantastic book too that, you know, kind of describes the whole program, you know, like the ins and outs, the leadership, the, you know, it's absolutely, it's almost like a, it's almost like a playbook for success for a high school football coach, you know? Yeah, I mean, he did that for all of his, all of his players, too. Like, they took that very seriously yeah. in college. They they didn't – I remember I talked about, like, when I was in college, it was really about, okay, let's get up on the whiteboard, X and O's, play, review film. Coach Trestle was ahead of his time. He was developing his his young young guys to become great men in the community, and he cared deeply. He still cares to this day. I've seen him recently, and – it's it's all about like he's just so proud of his players for becoming great contributing members of of society. He really talks about them being great husbands and great dads, and I think that's that is just a. I mean, in a world where people talk about wins all the time and wins and losses, and Coach Trestle's really focused on developing people. Yeah, no doubt. It was he was a big influence on me through, you know, just watching him through reading about him, and you know, there was a point in time in my life where I thought winning was everything and we were very marginal and then when life changed and the light bulb went off and you start trying to make a difference in kids lives it's absolutely amazing how winning takes care of itself you know like yep bill um, walsh i'm sure you love that one that's a, that's one of the best for sure no doubt no doubt all right the last one joe decina um Hardcore. I mean, dude's awesome. He's awesome. I, w I would say, uh, yeah, that one's been a while. I I'm glad you actually reminded me of that. I want to reach back out to him, but that was, that was a great one. He's a tough dude. It seems yeah. like, you know, from the yeah. stuff that he's into, tell me yeah. this, and this is not fair and you don't have to answer this as we, as we in 530, you know, was there anybody that surprised you, you know, that maybe going in, eh, but when you got done, you were just like, wow, you know, what a fan. Mm. Um, I mean, honestly, that kind of happens a lot. <laughs> I, I would say, uh, so it's, it's hard to pick just one. Um, if, if we record an episode and it doesn't meet our standard, we don't, we don't release it. So I've probably done that 
unfortunately between 50 and 60 times. Wow. Uh, I hate it. Um, but so sometimes it happens the other way. Uh, and usually that's my fault. I didn't prepare enough, but for the, for the most part, when people, um, come on, I have a pretty good feel for who they are. And then, uh, if I'm not like impressed, I don't, I won't release it. So, uh, that, that happens quite a bit. Uh, and, there are maybe people who I guess that would fit that bill that in the world, they're not very famous or they're not known, uh, at all. Um, so that happens, but usually I think it probably happens for a listener who never heard of the person, you know, like Michael Easter, not a lot of people have heard of him. He, and I love the comfort crisis and uh, I had most people, they didn't know who that was. And they're like, it, it changed their world. We talk about death. We talk about, um, all elements of life. And so that, that I love that though. I love when you find somebody who's, I think done amazing work, but for whatever reason, it's not Simon Sinek level fame. And then you have a conversation, they blow you away. And then you're, you're able to share that with the world and, and, um, people now are aware of that work and, and buy their books or whatever and, and are impacted by them. So uh, Sherry Cole was one that I thought was one of the greatest uh, ones that we did. She's a women's basketball coach. She is in the Hall of Fame. She's made it to a Final Four. Um, but still, like outside of the coaching world, I don't think people, not a lot of people knew, knew who she was. And her book, Rooted to Rise, is one of the best I've read in the last few years. And and so I think she impacted a lot of people when they heard that one because maybe they don't follow women's basketball, so they they weren't as aware. But now you you listen to that one, and you're just blown away, and it's been cool to see her um, kind of get a little speaking tour after that podcast came out. And I love seeing pictures of her on stage because she's just the best. So sure. yeah, I could go on and on, but I'll I'll stop there. But Sherry's a, Sherry's a great one. I'm probably one of the few. Like we have a, a mastermind that we put together of just football coaches, and we have you know, people come on and, you know, interview them. And Sherry Cole was one of them and just fantastic. Oh, she did. You had her come on for your group. Fantastic. That's you know, awesome. somebody had a connection with her. Um, one of the football coaches at Mizzou and got, I mean, it was just fantastic. Like from that, you know, like I became a huge fan, um, you know, follow her newsletter, you know, she's a, she's a really good writer, you know, just amazing. Put words cool. on paper and, Great book. Rooted to Rise is it'll you'll be crying for sure. It is oh, she's so skilled. Uh such a she came to my event in May that I had in Columbus and spoke and was it was an attendee for the entire thing and was so was even better. And I had very high expectations. She was even better in person as both a student and a teacher and a speaker, but whew, wow. yeah, yeah. I, I had multiple texts from people who were flying home because I gave everyone her book and they're they're crying on the airplane, you know, uh, because of Sherry's writing. It's just, it, that's hard to do, man. She is really yes. good. Really good. No doubt. Well, and I guess the, the original question is, you know, like I learned through listening to your podcast and, you know, like I would find myself skipping over the ones that I didn't know the person or I had not heard of the person, but then I learned, dude, click on it anyway and take a listen. And you yeah. run into so many that were awesome. You know, one here recently that I would have skipped over was the uh, guy from Chick-fil-A. I don't remember his name, but Mark Miller, man, fantastic. I mean, what a great hour I spent that, you know, so Very I learned, good. you know, like just because I don't know them don't mean that they're not fantastic and I can't learn from them. But I think that's a human instinct to try to find the ones that you know something about. Well, 
Um, Ryan, as we wrap up, man, I just want to say thank you. Um, I think it's absolutely awesome that you, you know, agreed to do this. You actually 100% made me a better person today, and you're going to make the ones that listen a better person. And I'm so grateful. And I'm so grateful that, you know, you do the things you do and you give, you know, you, you don't sometimes in life, you don't know how much of a difference you make because you don't always get that from people, but you have made a huge difference in my life. That podcast is huge in my family, you know, and my friends. And, um, you know, I'm very thankful that you took the opportunity to come on with us today, man. Much praise. I, to you. I, thank, thank you for your support. I know it's uh, ongoing and it has been there. I see it. I really appreciate it. And thanks for being so prepped. It's obvious this stuff's just kind of embedded in you and that's the best way. So uh, I really appreciate the opportunity, man, to, to have a deeper conversation. Thank you. 